0: This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter, Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: Who hasn't heard about Twitter these days? With all the controversy, we're talking about how private tech becomes a public square. And does Twitter have a future in 2023? It's a new year with Device and Virtue.
2: Hello, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you from Chicago I'm Adam. And I'm Chris. Hey, Adam. Today we are talking about...
1: The Twitter explosion. <laughs> is Twitter a public square, which we're all wondering about now?
2: Right. Including Elon Musk, who just took over and is really challenging us to ask this question. We've been asking this question for a long time, though. Exactly. But he is really probably the most famous
1: rich tech person that we have not talked about right whole lot on the right. podcast. We've done a lot
2: on Mark Zuckerberg, bless his heart. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we're going to have a different whipping boy today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Elon Musk bought Twitter what, sometime back yeah, in late October. In late October. Mm-hmm. But he's been talking about it forever, right? Yeah. Somewhere like back in
2: yeah, we, back, April. Back in April, he made a bid to buy Twitter. He revealed that he had like a 9% share. So he oh, like, that's right. He, had he had just quietly, like, sort of bought stock. Quietly, yeah, quietly right. purchased a bunch of stock. And then he revealed that and said he was going to make a bid. And then he kind of reneged on it. And everyone was like, for the whole summer 2022, everyone was wondering, is he going to marry her or isn't he going to marry her? <laughs> well, wait, right, because he was complaining that he
1: had made an offer, but then he discovered there was a lot of bots on the system or something, like too, many, yeah. too many
2: Twitter bots. <laughs> but Twitter
1: said, no, we always knew there were some fake users, but the majority aren't. Yeah, and then they right. went to court. Right. But then eventually, like, he winds up buying it.
2: Yeah. The chancery court judge was like, nope, you're in it to win it, Elon. Go for it. You got to make it happen. The That's Delaware a, Court of Chancery. That's, you, did you read that? I, I did. Yeah. I, and so I think she was. she's a chancellor. Okay. But yeah. And she was not taking any flack. She didn't let him just run roughshod over people. She made it happen. And so he ends up in a bit of a shotgun wedding with Twitter. And on October 28th,
1: like the craziness goes down. Now, I know mm-hmm, I'm on Twitter. Right? You are on Twitter. I'm going to say right from the front, I know a lot of our listeners on Twitter, but most people aren't on Twitter, right? Actually,
2: like, and we'll probably get into this. Right. It's one of the smaller social platforms. Yeah, it's
1: way smaller than Facebook or Instagram, these sort of things. But if you're like me, I'm on it with my little account that I've had since forever, you know, (laughs) and it's not like we have a lot of followers, but I do tweet and I do get nervous because on October 28th, immediately you find out he's fired everybody. He like walked
2: in and fired like the CEO, fired the policy director, And uh, so he fired pretty much the whole executive staff, right? right? All the C suites. And then, yeah, within a week, November 4th, he laid off half of the 7,500 people that worked at Twitter.
1: I remember he sent an email to everybody that if you can't, like, I don't know, work your butt off or something, right? (laughs) Like, get ready to work
2: long hours or just quit, right? Yeah. That was a couple days later. He sent a midnight ultimatum and said, if you are not ready to be extremely hardcore, Oh, that's, oh, yeah. Right. you should take off. And hundreds more, after he had laid off half the staff, hundreds more said, ah, oh, we're out of here. We don't want to work here anymore. I don't know. I mean, this has felt dramatic to me personally. <laughs> oh, man. I've been following it closely because I'm like, do I need to jump ship? Because I use Twitter a lot, and it's connected me with a lot of people, including you, I think. Right, right. And, and so I get a lot of news from there, and I follow a lot of things that are happening in the tech and faith world. On Twitter,
1: yeah, we do a lot of faith and tech
2: conversation on Twitter.
1: In the craziness, the roller coaster has just continued, right? People that are on Twitter know that journalists or official government people have like Mm -hmm. a blue check next to their name. It means that (laughs) Twitter has like verified them. Has said like this is the actual president of the United States tweeting. It's not a fake account, right?
2: Along with lots of famous people like LeBron James or companies, right?
1: Exactly. And then like so, then Elon Musk at one point announces, "Oh." Anyone should be able to get a blue check if for seven ninety nine a month.
2: <laughs> yeah, pay, pay eight dollars, and you too can have your own check. But he's trying to verify these accounts. He's trying to get the bots off of Twitter and help to verify all of these people are who they say they are. Was he? I think he was just trying to get like some money. Well, he money. might have been trying to drive revenue as well. Yes. But it flopped. Like within two days, they pulled back this rollout of Twitter. Blue. Well, they couldn't
1: because like you couldn't suddenly. And this is what also we're going to get into. Like we didn't know who was for real. Right. Like, so for instance, Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical giant that's maker of insulin, tweeted that all insulin would be free. <laughs> and the real company's stock fell, but it was a fake account with a blue check mark. Right. Because we didn't know if that was the real
2: person or not. Yeah, exactly. So there's all these impersonators who are buying the authenticity that they need to continue. And then by the end of November, Twitter's policies around COVID had changed. So they were no longer managing the misinformation that was being posted on Twitter. They were no longer deamplifying it or censoring it or blocking it. Right.
1: And then in the week of December 11th, Elon Musk also removed 20 journalists Mm -hmm. from multiple different publications from the platform, which... Everyone's like, what? Elon Musk, who had said that one of the reasons he wanted to take over Twitter was for free speech, essentially. Mm-hmm. He seemed to be mad about Donald Trump being removed from the platform, but right. other people being removed from the platform. It definitely has become a political talking point. <laughs> I guess we'll get into that. Right, too. right.
2: Yeah, major news organizations like CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, all of these different organizations, suddenly they have reporters who are banned from Twitter And they don't really know why it turns out had to do with the Elon jet account that was tracking where Elon's jet was traveling around the country. And he felt like (laughs) that was too much information that was exposing him and his family to danger.
1: And maybe there's something there, right? Like Mm -hmm. there was this weird account that figured out how to use GPS to show where his private plane was going. So that was a little weird. But he had actually previously said he wasn't going to ban that account. And on December 12th, he dissolved. Twitter had this whole trust and safety council, like all these PhDs, global experts on what can pop up and what can't. He dissolved that whole council, just mm. shut it down. And then accused the former head of that account of being involved with, gets a little weird, pedophilia. Like right. he's like, what? Also same week, actually all the weeks in December, he had launched this thing called the Twitter files where he right. invited journalists to come in and look at the old files that were left over from the previous administration
2: of Twitter. Right.
1: And their job was like to investigate whether Twitter was colluding with like the government or something
2: to block certain things. Right. Yeah. The Hunter Biden laptop story that the New York Post had posted back in, I think it was 2019. Twitter took it down for two days, I think and said that it was based on hacked information I think was right. the rationale there yeah. and so it was
1: and I think depending on where you get your news you think it's a really big story you think it's not a big story right right <laughs> but yeah, it was for two days it was disallowed on Twitter but then it was allowed because it got reviewed. So these whole things are still coming out even as we speak and probably after we record this more of those are going <laughs> to come out. yes but then on December 18th, Elon Musk after all this roller coaster posts this tweet. Quote, should I step down as head of Twitter, question mark, I will abide by the results of this poll. And then he posts a poll that people can vote on, right? Yes or no. There are 17.5 million votes in this wow. poll. And- the poll is over because polls on Twitter last for 24 hours only. He's <laughs> 17.5 <laughs> million people voted in 24 hours. The result was 57.5% said yes,
2: you should quit. And so we're still waiting. And listeners will probably know by the time they're listening to this whether he has stepped down. And we're in the in-between here. <laughs> so... Uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been such a crazy roller coaster, like you said, and everybody's been wondering it's been uncertainty after uncertainty and maybe people are getting frustrated with him.
1: So why do we care? I mean,
2: I do get nervous about everything that's happened. Like, why do we care about this social network? Yeah, it does seem to have an outsized influence. Like you said, there's a lot of journalists, a lot of advocacy groups, a lot of politicians, a lot of celebrities. And it's their direct line to a larger public where they can share about themselves. But it also means that all sorts of people are going public. So it's not just celebrities anymore, but it's any academic or people like you and me who just seem to think that our opinions matter.
1: (laughs) It's a very interesting space in that there's about 300 million active users of Twitter. Right. If you compare that to Facebook and Instagram, Facebook, even though it's dropped, it hasn't dropped by that much. We're in the two and a half billion, right. maybe three billion mark for Facebook and two billion for Instagram right. almost. So a third of the world's population is on Facebook yeah. and Instagram versus on Twitter. It's only two or 300 million. Mm-hmm. It's real
2: small. Yeah. It's a 10th of what's on Instagram and Facebook. It's
1: like one country versus the whole world,
2: they, but it's it White whitehouse.gov. Mm-hmm. It
1: is the heads of state around the world. It has become the place where press releases sometimes just happen right on Twitter. And so it has become what people are calling the public square.
2: Yeah. And it's become the place where, if you remember the Arab Spring of 2011, people are saying Twitter was really influential and important in generating a lot of the energy around the protests across the Arab world, even more recently this fall with the protests in Iran, a lot of that has been coordinated and connected through Twitter. And so Twitter has this ability to catalyze groups of people to take political action even. And so right. that notion of there was a sense that democracy would spread across the Arab world. That didn't necessarily happen. But these sorts of events also happen with the U.S. capital attack in 2021. But all of this is getting coordinated to some degree on Twitter or these groups of people are finding themselves together and finding their tribe in the same way that I've found my tribe with people who talk about faith and technology on Twitter. I'm following everyone I can to talk about those things. And I'm in my little corner of Twitter, and everyone else has found their corners as well.
1: Well, that's interesting. Are the corners and the tribes the same thing as the public (laughs) square? Is there free speech on Twitter? And Should there be? (laughs) Well, Americans, we go, yes. I think there's a lot of questions here. And we're going to jump into it.
2: So there seem to be two key questions around everything we've already talked about. One is the question of free speech. But the question maybe we start with is this idea of the public square. How should we think about what a public square is? Is twitter a digital public square right and is the public square the right way for us to think about this digital manifestation because a public square is a physical space
1: yeah in 2017 the supreme court called the internet the public square but i always think of my seventh grade latin class where Naturally. we had to wear togas sometimes and we <laughs> had little Latin names. My name was Lucius. When you put on a little pen, and, and we really did have Latin. It was supposed to be like oh, a project man. where we learned about you Latin.
2: have like an olive
1: head Yeah, I know. Thank you. I was not Caesar. Thank you okay. for asking. But then we learned about like the Greek Agora or maybe it's right. the Roman Agora. Agora is, I guess, the Greek word that probably yeah. translated like sort of the famous place where in theory our philosophers stood there in their robes and had these sort of debates or speeches and talked about art in politics and so you picture that as a public square like that's right. the
2: original picture whether it's idealistic or stupid yeah. but that's what i see we sort of have a modern connotation of this with like times square in new york city right right it's this public square
1: so like and that says it's a physical space yeah. and can walk through it i was just actually in times square like two or three weeks ago mm-hmm. like the amount of leds in your face oh my is insane. gosh it's crazy <laughs> right, right right but yeah this place where anyone can come Anyone is allowed to be there. There's a place for-
2: They um, could set up a soapbox. Speech or ideas. Yeah, literally a soapbox
1: maybe, which is a term that none of us really understand anymore, but (laughs) we get it. And so I guess by Twitter or the internet being a public square, it seems that people are saying that to mean, yeah, they mean that someone can set up a soapbox.
2: Right. Someone can
1: talk and other people are going to listen.
2: Right. Well, and in the public square, it's this place of connection, communication, relationship, people are interacting like you're saying with the agora maybe they're debating ideas you know paul at mars hill is like debating these ideas around faith and belief and who god is and so like they're having these robust discussions right and the internet now today twitter Facebook. These are places where we do have connection and communication and relationship and we interact with one another. And the platform itself has become, for each of us, our own soapbox where we spout off about whatever we think.
1: And it's really interesting that you think of like Paul as being part of that. Yeah, I think so, maybe. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, the Christian definition of how this all works with free speech plus the Mm. American definition of how Mm. this all works in free speech really gets tangled up. I want to get there. Okay. But the other thing about Public Square is this idea of who can come Anyone, right? And then what can they say? And we sort of want to say anything, right? But that's not quite right. We, right? We're really about free speech as Americans. Yeah, like, we get the First Amendment. It's very bedrock. Mm-hmm. It's not the case internationally in the same ways. It's not the case over time in the same ways. But for us in America, who we are, like free speech is so central. It's hard to imagine it without it, right? But our free speech is not completely free at all. We've never actually said that because. There's a lot of speech that makes other speech not free, which gets
2: confusing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, let's just do legal categories. For instance, like it's illegal for you to, we've always known this, to stand up in a movie theater and yell, there's a fire when there's right. no fire. Right. Right. That's not free speech. That's called like either fraud or incitement. Both mm. of these things are categories that the Supreme Court says you can't do. You can't lie in an emergency in public. That's not allowed. It's okay. not free speech. And we say that. You can't be obscene. You hmm. like, uh, can't take
2: off all your clothes and run around.
1: Pornography is not considered free speech in U.S. society, right? Okay. Even if you want to say it or say obscene things or do it, that's not allowed. We don't sure. protect that. Thing, threats are, uh, that lead to physical violence mm-hmm. have never been protected by free speech, in okay. the American idea of free speech. So, like, I'm going to kill you. Right. I'm going to like, and if there's metaphor and then the arguments always are like, well, was that just, I was just playing when that was a metaphor versus I actually meant it. But either way, it's not protected as free speech. We can think of a lot of things. It's not just like anyone can say anything, right? Right. Right. And thus is the (laughs) rub. By the way, you found this really great essay by Marianne Franks in the Yale Law Journal where she's talking about the public square. And she points out that a lot of free speech Because of intimidation, what would be free speech actually pushes out other speech. So, for instance, in Virginia, Virginia had passed what she characterized as a mild... Gun law, right? A gun law, right? That had been passed by the majority in Virginia. Yeah, And she didn't talk about the details of that. I don't know. But what she did say is that 20,000 people showed up and protested in front of the state capitol, but the protesters had so many threats. were carrying neo-Nazi flags, were calling the legislators tyrants and that they were going to take them down and things, that all the legislators left town. It felt Mm -hmm. like physical threats. And then there was a counter-protest and they didn't go out there because they were too scared. Yeah. And so suddenly what became, you wanted to allow the free speech in this sort of public square in the state capitol in Virginia, winds up being one group has speech and everybody else stops speaking.
2: Right. Right. Which is
1: actually how this works sometimes when there's intimidating mm-hmm. and loud and strong voices that are threatening. Abusive speech often has a chilling effect or destroys other
2: free mm-hmm. speech, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so then in these digital spaces where people want to spout off, maybe without consequences, maybe with fewer threats of physical violence or fewer risks to their own physical well-being, they feel like, well, I feel safe behind my computer to say whatever I want. And so they feel much freer to say what they want. And that becomes a competition between different voices and also a risk to different voices to even feel safe to be able to represent themselves there and not get shouted down, perhaps.
1: So free speech is complicated. Yeah. And in the public square, I think, I don't know if you'd say with this, it's not a free-for-all the public square idea to me feels more something like the United States Senate where different people can stand up Mm -hmm. and say what they want to say, but there's a lot of
2: form. There's a lot of structure. There's a lot of space
1: that allows one person to talk and other people to listen.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. And the other complicating factor is you have the government guaranteeing free speech, but you have a private company like Twitter that has a different set of responsibilities and aren't bound by the same set of responsibilities as the government to foster that public... Well, you just brought up the key word, private.
1: Right. So that's one of the big debates here, Mm -hmm. right? So we were just talking about what a public square is. Mm -hmm. I was thinking more about the square part, probably less (laughs) than the public part. Yes. But you just brought up this public-private thing.
2: Yeah. So what do you mean? Well, Twitter does not have a responsibility to uphold free speech on their platform in the way that the government does don't they they don't
1: oh okay go ahead
2: (laughs) so private actors aren't subject to the restraints of the first amendment except in rare cases where they are functioning in a public way right so if it's a speaker manufacturer and they're providing amplification for a public forum And they have artificial intelligence that's preventing people from saying certain words through their speakers, then (laughs) interesting, (laughs) you know, they would be in violation of the free speech that the government has guaranteed for those people in that public space. But on Twitter, they are also using AI systems to tag keywords and perhaps de-amplify or deplatform certain people who are using those keywords or are talking about certain situations. But they're not in a public forum in the same way, even though it is something the public can see. So this has been
1: something that has been a lot of debate recently, right? And it's funny. I know people are going to have really strong political opinions about everything we're saying. but (laughs) And we do, too. Yeah, we probably do, too. But what's funny is, like, I think we are approaching it from this above the line position. Maybe I'll see if I can claim that. Because surprisingly, for instance, the position about whether a company is responsible for something based on whether they're public or private around Mm -hmm. speech has reversed the Republicans and Democrats have mm. actually taken each other's positions in the last four years. So something like four years ago, you had this idea where, you know, can the internet, should it be neutral?
2: Right. Should it be... Open to all, available to all.
1: Right. But what this would mean is that the government would help regulate that, right? And things like internet providers were saying, well, no, we're private companies. We can restrict things or not restrict things. Right. But the FCC was saying, well, well wait, no, at this point hooking up your internet at your house feels so, a lot like hooking up your gas and your cable and mm-hmm, your electric mm-hmm. with something we all use every day. We need it for all over the place. If Xfinity, Comcast chooses that they're only going to allow you to go surf to one kind of flower shop, but not another kind of flower shop. Right. Do we want them to be able to do that? Because people expect they can go to like visit any flower shop website they want to. Right. Right. And so this was an argument that Democrats were using for like, hey, we need to regulate the private internet companies Mm -hmm. so they can't block anything. Essentially, So they can't do a deal and then block something. Right. Republicans are opposed. Interestingly, things seem to really reverse in the Twitter era now, pretty much after Donald Trump got removed from the
2: Twitter platform. Yeah, he gets deplatformed.
1: Everyone on the conservative side started saying very strongly, all right, this is a public space. They're deplatformed. That should be illegal. You can't right. do that. Right. Right. <laughs> the total reversal,
2: actually. Yeah. And suddenly they're concerned not about internet service providers like Xfinity, but social platforms like Twitter and the ways that they are permitting some people to have access but not other people but
1: they want an enforcement
2: of some kind that forces twitter to not be able to do Mm -hmm. that so
1: complete switches in the political spectrums if people notice right yeah but the question is on the public and private you talked about twitter being something that's a private company right but in the public view but i don't like that analogy okay you're right we do have distinctions between public and private Mm -hmm. the public square and like a private home for instance okay and even a private business but the size of the business and the scale of the business matters. And okay, sure. Okay. I'm not the law guy. Someone lawyer than me will tell me if I'm getting it right. Although I did read the entire Oxford history, of the Supreme Court one time. So I'm just a dork. Oh, wow. But, but places of a public accommodation, say my family used to live in Orlando, Florida. And we went to Disney World a lot. Okay. Okay. Disney built his own little private kingdom south of Orlando, Florida, to the point where he has almost his own county. Right. right and they actually have so much land they have their own fire department their own roads wow. and the roads lead between the magic kingdom and epcot huh. and animal kingdom and all the other ones right <laughs> and they've got all the hotels it's just a massive complex employs oh. tons of people millions of visit each year it's all private right if disney world says one day we aren't allowing black people mm. at disney world right right we would not be okay with that no one would be okay with that right, right? and Well, why not? They're a private company. They can do it what they want. Yeah, right. Well, no, but we see that place, even though it's owned privately, as a place of public accommodation. Mm -hmm. It's a Mm -hmm. place that we expect anyone equally to be able to, if they have the money, to go purchase the entertainment there Mm -hmm. and have equal access to that, right? And that comes into our constitutional rights. Right, right. And so this gets into that American thing, but we expect a place of public accommodation to operate according to rules that we
2: expect Mm -hmm. to be fair and equal to all. Mm Mm-hmm. But we would say that Disney World could ban a certain person who has created a public nuisance on their property or has stolen things or has threatened violence or whatever caused a problem to Disney World. And we would say, yes, they have the right to ban that person from their property.
1: Yeah, I think we would. But I also think even if it got really, really specific, we would really criticize them if they were deviating too far from public law. So right. for instance if we say hey this person this would be interesting case this person is a known nazi Right, they paid to go to Disney World. Say Disney World said they wanted to ban them. Now we don't like Nazis, but we might think there's not a law against that person believing they want to believe. But Disney World's allowed to ban anyone at once. So Disney World might do that because it's popular, mm-hmm. or like they mm-hmm. feel like they don't want that person there. Right. But that person is allowed to walk into a post office. Right. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like yes. this gets really difficult. What well, we want that place of a public accommodation to be very close to the law. Mm-hmm. If Disney World's like, hey, this person, they stole. We have proof. Right. We right. went right. to the right. cops. Right. They're no longer allowed on the park. We go, yeah, they stole because that seems like it's part of the law. And that yeah. would also be true in other cases. Yeah.
2: We're having to do all these analogies because you start getting the Twitter. Right. Well, what's interesting to me is in the case that I gave, it was based on their behavior. And in the case that you gave, it was based on a category. So yours was they fit the category of a neo-Nazi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine is they fit the behaviors that are prohibited on our property. And so your other example is if we have all black people, again, it's fitting a category. And the challenge with Twitter and other social platforms is that they are using AI systems and they're creating categories of speech or behavior that they're saying this gets prohibited on our platform categorically, not individually. And so there's a question of scale that comes into that Hmm. that we wouldn't necessarily get into, but. But The speech it, it, is an action, right? You're saying, but it, it is a behavior, absolutely. Yeah, they're using behavior to create those flags, right? So they're
1: looking for words like "Jews are bad," you know, right, 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 <laughs> or right, something. right, right, right. And they're going, "Hey, do we want that exactly. out there or not?" Yeah, and it gets it wrong sometimes because the computer is wrong, right? Like the computer tries to be right, but it's not always right. The AI is getting better and mm-hmm. better. And so you get a lot of complaints about right. that. Like it's, well, it banned this. Why would it ban that? It's an idiot. But obviously when you have millions of pieces of information flying by you a second, mm-hmm. we have to use AI to do that. Right. And then we have to use like human reviewers. So there's two questions on that kind of stuff. Yeah. right? One is what's the system? And two is do we want that speech on there at all?
2: Right. Right, It's a category, but only in the sense that it comes down to an AI. not It's still... I mean, this is the interesting thing of how speech systems, speech platforms are being run. They're being run in engineering ways with categories. And yeah, it's true. The law does this to a degree as well. The law creates categories and says this sort of speech or this sort of action is legal or illegal, right. but it's not until you've behaved in that way that you are then brought to court and put in prison for doing X, Y, and Z. So...
1: Okay, but I mean, is Twitter a public square? It is privately owned, right? Now by Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it is a place of public accommodation, like Disney World. It's a place where we've sort of Mm assumed that everyone can show up and say their thing.
2: Yeah, and I think part of the question is around influence, but also part of the question has to do with is Twitter a quote unquote monopoly in the space? Like, you know, there are other competing actors that are providing alternatives to Twitter, Facebook being one of them, Parler, Gab. It's funny, you do hear people say it is, and it's clearly a no, there's not. Right, but people don't really know about it. They know about Twitter, but they don't know a lot of- It's
1: not even on the top five social media platforms in the world by numbers. Right. Actually, I think it's not even on the top 10. Facebook, YouTube, WhatsApp, Instagram, WeChat, TikTok, Facebook Messenger, same platform there. Telegram, bunches in China and Russia Mm -hmm. and like other Mm -hmm. global platforms. Snapchat, Reddit, Even Quora, which a lot of people don't (laughs) use, but I do use, is like not too far from Twitter's most active social platforms. Right, right, right. No, there's a ton of other options. Yes. But they aren't considered by users. Yeah. But at the same time, they aren't seen as the place of record as much right now. You don't Mm -hmm. see, and this is where it really gets crazy, this is the interaction between broadcast news and social media news Mm -hmm. that I like to get into. You don't see a lot of reports on ABC News, which I don't really watch anymore, but it still exists, (laughs) that's like on reddit the other day the prime minister said this (laughs) but you do get that for twitter sure yeah there are a ton of other competing platforms but maybe culturally we have placed twitter at a certain place where it's become more important
2: yeah there's an influence factor that's not in terms of a monopoly in a concrete product oriented sense but in a social media sense they do have a monopoly on a certain group of people who are having this conversation. And that includes politicians, journalists, advocacy groups, and most brands are on there, but they have other places as well. But when you think about our past precedent, how we manage monopolies, they would get regulated by the government so that everyone had equal access and the monopoly couldn't exclude people in the ways that they were serving the public. But like you're saying... Twitter doesn't quite fit as a monopoly, but it does have a cultural influence.
1: And this is why people feel especially nervous about a powerful person controlling something of such cultural influence. And I have a couple of things to bring up about power and how royals or riches has controlled communications technology over time.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by thomas nelson publisher of nine lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith hope and redemption written by Dwayne dog the bounty hunter chapman nine lives and counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events but also ventures into behind the scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly nine lives and counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more.
2: Chris, are you saying that Elon Musk is royalty? Because that's pretty much what I heard you just say.
1: Yeah. Have you lived here? He's riches, which means royalty. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Besides Meghan and Harry. (laughs) I'm not watching that on Netflix, by the way. Uh Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) But of course, yeah, he's now like the richest man in the world, like he's Mm. become like, so he is
2: royalty, but Mm. no, the meritocracy he is.
1: Yeah, right. He's an interesting story, by the way, you know, he grew up in South Africa, came to Canada for college and then the US and was the CEO of a very early version of PayPal. I think it was called x.com or something. It was, it was like payments. Yeah. And that's where he made his money. And that's how SpaceX happened. Anyway, there's a whole thing. But anyway, Elon Musk right now is the power that everyone's debating around Twitter now.
2: Right, right. right. He has suddenly this comprehensive authority over everything he's that he's like the is queen doing. of Twitter.
1: And so I was thinking about, well, hasn't power always controlled communication networks, you know, Mm -hmm. hasn't there always been a power? There has. I was looking into it. The first thing you think of even before the printing press is the Catholic Church was one of the biggest powers in the world, and Mm -hmm. they controlled the communication networks. Like, Mm -hmm. they had this network from the Pope to clergy, to other political leaders between kings and city-states and stuff. And mm-hmm. so the church was the communications network power. Very interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. But when you get into like the 14, 15, 1600s, don't, don't lose me for a second. Okay. I know, yeah, a little right. nerdy, right? But like we get into like King Henry VIII. <laughs> 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 oh, he's a good guy. We should. Yeah, Yeah, someone to emulate. But he appoints a postmaster in London. Okay. And you start getting into this thing where private people could send like a note from person to person and get it mailed. Right, right, right. right, right, You know, this turns into a hundred years later to these little tiny news reports called corantos, And there were postmasters of each little small town would write down the news that was happening in that town. It would get sort of sent to the central thing. And someone would be like, okay, I'm going to copy this, this, or this, and do a little news report from the postmasters. Huh. So postmasters in the 1600s are like little journalists, which is really sort of funny. <laughs> but where you get into the power, I was looking into like, when I was visiting London, you'd visit parliament, you'd visit all these things. In the 1500s and the 1600s, they had this whole system of censorship for these little curantos. That people couldn't they had to license them. They couldn't publish without permission. And this Star Chamber, a famous court in England, has a lot of rules about what can get published and what not about the royalty. Okay. And about the revolution. And royals start figuring out that what gets put out there in public Mm -hmm. affects the public what they think about this, right? And their kings are like, we're just going to just let this crap go. We have to control this. We can't let anyone write what they want to write. Mm. So anyone with power has a lot of interest in doing this. Mm -hmm. When all the royal control is shut down and by 1750, suddenly all the restrictions are gone and we're back to the full public in England and... In the 1750s, there was a hundred thousand copies of a newspaper per week circulating in London, and they had great names. They were called The Tattler, <laughs> The Spectator, Jonathan Swift's The Examiner. Huh? And they, they'd be put in coffee shops, a hundred thousand copies, but they're probably read by ten times that many people because, like, they're right. read in public, right? Right. This is the Twitter public square of the time. Right. Right. Everyone's talking <laughs> in this public square. Newspapers are being published every day. It's like this sort of golden age. Eventually, the royalty goes, no, this is too much. There's too much stuff out there Mm -hmm. again. And so they try to restrict it. They create the Stamp Act. Kids learning American history in third grade might remember the Stamp Act of 1712, which starts charging a penny for every printed sheet because they want to sort of cut down on it. They're trying to restrict it. It's like Twitter trying to slow down the flow of things. And actually, in the Twitter files that Elon Musk has been putting out recently, he is accusing the previous Twitter people of not amplifying certain voices. Right. So they would tweet and all their followers would see them. Yeah. But they wouldn't show it to more than their followers, Mm -hmm. right? This Mm -hmm. is sort of what the Stamp Act is trying to do. It's like, okay, some people are going to read this, but we're going to make it more expensive and make it so they can print less copies so they maybe don't get new followers. I'm not kidding. It's sort of the same thing. (laughs) The Stamp Act gets really, really controversial. And in Mm -hmm. fact, the new American colonists have some real problems with King George or whoever them having to pay them for every time they print something. Right. 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 It's what leads to the founders putting the first amendment in the constitution. Hmm. Right. So we have free speech. So there's been a back and forth between the king or the rich people trying to control
2: the little presses of the world Mm -hmm. and everyone revolting and trying to print as much as they want. Mm -hmm. So it's the people in power and the people who are managing the distribution of messages. Yeah. So it's the postmaster gains a certain amount of power over time, is able to publish it based on trafficking the messages back and forth.
1: But that network felt like early social networking. You know, it's like sort of distributed, sort of like what everyone thinks of as like the Opal or maybe the Mastodon now, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be (laughs) one of the Twitter replacements that's open source and not controlled by one company, right? That's sort of like what felt like the old Postmaster thing. Right, right, right. But yes,
2: then King got involved. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to manage this tension of how the messages get distributed and the visibility. And now we have someone like Elon Musk Where the postmaster is now also the royalty, (laughs) yeah, and they're they're one person, and and there's American precedents. Like I also thought of William Randolph Hearst. People have heard of Mm. Hearst
1: newspapers, who's really big, like 1860s to the 1950s. But he's one of the famous newspaper magnates in New York City, and like the Golden Age or something, right? But he owned the New York Journal. And he made it into every and everyone reads this thing. Mm-hmm. It was sensational. It was in color. <laughs> it had crime. It had magazine sections. It had pseudoscientific topics, according to, I think, Wikipedia. <laughs> it only cost one cent. And so like everyone read it. But hmm. this one guy censored it and he would say whatever he wanted. He became really powerful. He being William Randolph Hearst. Okay. To the point where professors say that he created the Spanish-American War of 1898 by himself. Wow. (laughs) Because he whipped New York into this fury, this This, public sentiment uh, so much because he had so much power. One guy mm -hmm. owned this newspaper that was so influential Hmm. that he could create a war. Hmm. Hmm.
2: Hmm. Hmm. I mean, that's a scary precedent because in today's era, when news does travel fast and you could amplify or deamplify whoever you wanted, could you manufacture a war? You know, how is the perception of Ukraine and Russia mediated by Twitter and Telegram? It's really interesting because I don't know what you think
1: about this. That was the newspaper era. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, William Randolph Hearst is printing one thing. Everyone's reading it, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like Twitter now. Like, you can press something. But... Right. In some ways, Twitter's way more free than that era, mm-hmm. like than the newspapers or the radio or the TV mm-hmm. where one person's controlling the message. Mm-hmm. And in other ways, though, maybe because we're on an avalanche of information, it's like Elon Musk has people with millions of followers are the ones that get listened to. And we're worried that he has enough power to when you say it, you get to say it, but only 200 people see it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So those are different. Like he publishes the whole newspaper versus in Twitter. Everyone does have a little platform. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this. What if like the city of Chicago was a public square? Okay. Three million people. Okay. Okay. So say I wanted to talk to three million people at once. Well, I can't, right? Right. <laughs> like, I would have to use a broadcast form of media or there's places I can go. Like you can go down the Daily Plaza downtown, which is like, there's a Picasso there. Mm-hmm. It's in front of the city hall and the right. courthouse. And there are protests there all the time, yeah. right? And I could like protest. Some people would see it. I could get on my soapbox and yell, but I can't talk to everybody because it's impossible. Like right. I'm one person talking to the people that are actually standing there. Yeah. Maybe if I got covered by the news, by a newspaper sure. or by yeah. television, more people would hear it. It's sort of impossible physically for us to be a public square in any sense when you have that scale. Like the scale almost makes it like it's impossible. Right? And that's what Twitter's mm-hmm. like. Twitter's mm-hmm. like a city, Twitter has all these corners. If I went to like a small bar in like a German town of Chicago, Mm -hmm. I could probably talk to like the 20 old German guys that have an opinion about their neighborhood yeah, and maybe be influential in that little niche. Like you were talking about these tribes before. Yeah, That's what Twitter is now, right? It's like- Very much. It's a public square, but in the sense of like a city's a public square where there it's a thousand tribes, a thousand corners.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my experience on Twitter is that I do interact with probably 20 to 50 people on- any sort of a regular basis, and only occasionally interact with maybe 50 other people. And it's just like one-offs here and there, but then that scales up and you have people who are in a broadcast mode, like Elon, who have millions of followers. So it's this mashup of both, there's some people doing broadcast communication and responding to some people who respond to them. And then the rest of us are in the corner pub talking to 20 people who come in and out. And that's sort of our experience. It's almost like it's a public
1: square for like the Barack Obama's and Elon Musk's of the world, right? Like if you gave everyone a Lego to stand on for every follower, mm-hmm. and I'd be standing like a couple feet above the ground and like Elon Musk is standing like <laughs> with his head in space, which yeah. is apt because he makes space things, right? And it's a public square, but for only... In that sense, again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the rich, the royal, or maybe like the famous in right. this case, the right. public square for a few really are the only people that can speak to a whole city yeah.
2: or to a whole country. So then you bring it back to the free speech question and you have, can I say whatever I want in a pub with 20 friends and can I get away with it versus the mayor of Chicago saying something that a lot of Chicago will hear, you know, what can she freely say or not say? the stipulations for her versus for me are different to some degree. Like what she's allowed to say versus what I'm allowed to say are different based on the number of people I can say it to. And, One of the challenges I think with Twitter right now is perhaps that Mm -hmm. it is applying the same categories to everyone in all cases and people are getting deamplified or the law that applies to Elon Musk also applies to me and the freedoms that apply to me also apply to him. But maybe that's not quite the way that we should be thinking about how these systems and the freedoms we have are applied. It's almost like it exposes the systems, Mm -hmm. right? Like we like to think...
1: And we're still an American brain as opposed to Christian brain here, but yeah, we like to think that everyone is equal. Mm-hmm. That oh, me and the mayor, we're both citizens. But the reality yeah. is, the mayor is more powerful than I am and has a bigger voice. Right. Twitter, because of followers mm-hmm. and because of algorithm, mm-hmm. exposes that system. Right. This person is more powerful. Right. right. So we have this dichotomy where we want to argue and go, no, we should all be equal to like the most famous people, like they become a really big deal and yeah. they get removed yeah. or yeah. they violate a standard of speech. And actually, I have opinion on all these Twitter files that Elon Musk has been tweeting out. But what they've actually shown is that Twitter didn't apply the same rules to the most famous people like Trump. Yeah. Like They waited a much, 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 much longer to apply those rules than they would have a regular person yeah. because he was rich and
2: powerful. Yeah. And that's something that has been acknowledged, I think, by plenty of people to say, well, there are some rules that don't apply to people with large followings because they're a quote-unquote public figure right and then other people have railed against that saying well that's not fair we should all have the same rights we should all be equals the law should apply to everyone in the same way and we have to sort of decide culturally collectively do we agree with that is that true and then what are the ramifications of those decisions at a broadcast scale versus a micro scale and i don't think we've figured that out yet Maybe we can retreat to what we often do near the end of our podcast,
1: thinking about is there a Christian way to live in the public square? I remember growing up in our Christian home, and of course, we put out our Christmas decorations. And one thing my dad was always really proud of was putting out the nativity scene. Mm. And yep. we had a bunch of different ones, I feel like, but they would get bigger. We make sure they were in the front yard. We, I mean, we loved that. We, Eric and I had our own little personal nativity scenes that we had like up in the house. Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, definitely a cow or so. Of course, the three kings, which is a donkey, yep. barely biblical. But anyway, the, <laughs> there weren't three. They weren't there, you know, but that's fine. We'll, we'll put them in there. But I think my dad would also really like to put it out in front of the house because I remember us talking a lot about as a family about issues of local politics where maybe like a local courthouse or a local public building would take down their Christian symbol, mm-hmm. you know, like they right. like at Christmas. They wanted to
2: take the Christ out of Christmas.
1: Yeah, so, and the public building is taking that in the nativity scene. And I know my parents really saw this as a really negative thing. They're removing Christianity from society. Mm-hmm. And what happened a lot in the courts, you know, this is like the 80s. So I have a kid's memory of a lot of this, <laughs> but I know this argument still happens sometimes, but it felt like it was much more poignant then, at least in my family. Sure. It may be happening in the public. But what happened a lot was courts wound up saying, okay, well, you can't take down the religious symbol, but you can add other symbols, right? right so right. like then these public buildings would put up a Star of David for Hanukkah yeah. or like the Hanukkah lights. Maybe for the while there was Kwanzaa stuff, you know, like there was just like, we sort of put up all the stuff, you know, it was a pluralist solution. Like we have in the public square, yeah, we have multiple religions mm-hmm. and we're going to put them all up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what my parents thought about that. I remember thinking it didn't feel as satisfying as us wanting to get back the Christian thing and the thing. <laughs> but then you start realizing, oh, well, wait, there's – and I hadn't met a lot of other people yeah. that had other – until later in high school when mm-hmm. I, we lived in a Muslim countries and Shinto countries. And I met okay. folks there. And suddenly you start realizing, oh, there's quite a lot of other people on this thing. Huh. But that's the starting place I think of in my head of like, well, how do Christians live in a public square? Because in the globe or mm-hmm. even in the U.S. for sure, sh- and we live in this pluralistic society yeah, where all the symbols go up on the Christmas lawn, mm-hmm. on the holiday lawn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I know there's plenty of debate around the Christian heritage in the U.S. Was it founded as a Christian nation or not? And regardless of where you stand on that, the U.S. certainly has Christian heritage. And Christianity has been the dominant religion for a couple centuries. And that's starting to change in various ways. And as we think about Elon and his royalty and the power that he has, that question of power is a big question. And it's a question that we as Christians are susceptible to in how we think about what does it mean to be hospitable to people of other religions, including in the public square. If the U.S. has been culturally Christian, can it be hospitable in the ways that it's making space for other religions? And so that question of power becomes one way to think about it. But I think as Christians, we have not an ethic of power, but an ethic of love. Mm -hmm. And it's the ethic of love that drives the idea and the ideal of hospitality That we want to create, quote unquote, safe spaces. We want to create spaces that are welcoming, spaces that are not exerting power over, but are instead choosing to serve and love and care for. Right the other. And in that regard, as I think about what attitude Christians need to have towards the public square, both physically and virtually, we need to be consistently moving away from the ethic of power and moving towards the ethic of love as the framework for thinking about what we're doing here. And that ethic of love applies even when you're not in power. And Mm -hmm. so it means that as Christians, we're not pursuing power, we're pursuing love. And it means that even if we are not the culturally dominant religion in the US, we still have an ethic that we can abide by rather than pursuing power in the process.
1: I mean, wow. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think when it comes down to practical things, like I think Christians should be really concerned about things like hate speech. Mm hmm. And it's interesting because I think hate speech, even that phrase, Mm. has some contemporary political implications. Like people of different sides of the spectrum hear different things when they hear that. Yeah, yeah. And I think the left here is protecting minority classes or people that are vulnerable and the right here is suppression of free speech in Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to try to use your hate speech ban to like actually suppress things. But an ethic of love would really try to understand what speech that's hateful or destroys others Mm -hmm. does and would be pretty supportive of like Twitter should have a a hate speech policy that Mm -hmm. hopes that not flood the marketplace, you Mm -hmm. know, to not intimidate and destroy.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned the word policy. So it really brings us back to those questions of how Twitter and other platforms are implementing and censoring or just scanning using AI systems to scan for trigger words or to somehow identify, based on data, these different behaviors that they deem either hateful or something else that is disregarding or going against Twitter policies. How do you engineer an ethic of love into your policy? I think that's easier said than done. Well, and you and I have talked about that policies
1: and rules don't do the same things as cultures and norms. Yeah. And when you're talking about an ethic of love, we all sort of agree in our heads like, oh, you can't make a rule for love. Yeah. Yeah. And we all sort of know also really practically, like our workplaces or our churches, that the more rules you make to try to coordinate behavior, you actually wind up getting a lot of times not the outcome you want. Because what we want is people to intuitively understand and coalesce around certain ideas, behaviors. but. That doesn't work at scale. Right. And it's a real tension. And you see leaders mess this up a mm-hmm. lot about how many frameworks or like, how much <laughs> do you write it down? Yeah. And enforce something.
2: Yeah. No, that's a great example. Like there used to be norms around selling alcohol on Sundays or even a store being open on Sundays. Right. right you right. know, these stores by cultural agreement, they were saying, let's be closed on Sundays or let's not sell alcohol on Sundays because that's the Sabbath day. Right, And over time, those cultural norms became legislated laws, blue laws, and they became enacted in an explicit way rather than an implicit way driven by values. Yeah, it people. started out as
1: like a value. No, I don't know if I totally agree with that sure.
2: thing anyway, but it's a good example of yeah.
1: how like a cultural norm, then eventually like people, probably as it was declining, yeah. then people try to put a rule to protect yeah. the cultural norm, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah.
2: And sort of exerting a power... Over rather right. than uh serving under. And now there's maybe a few
1: locales that have it left, but it yeah. feels like a vestigial yeah. Christian rule that the most of the culture doesn't
2: understand. Like why are they trying to exert this? And just the way, like you said, you can't legislate love. That's why Paul says that the law was a guardian until Christ came. Oh. The law is being used to sort of keep you within the bounds, but you really gotta get to the heart of the law to really understand. The ethic of love thy neighbor as thyself, love God, love others. And that's at the heart of the law. And the law is putting boundaries around you to do that. But if you just follow the laws, you're going to end up in legalism, not in love. And it's not until Christ comes that he fulfills the law so that we don't have to follow the law, but we follow Jesus. And we follow the word of love and his example to do that. So we really need Jesus to be the head of Twitter. (laughs) or something
1: (laughs) we're going to be on the twitter roller coaster for quite a while i think
2: yeah i think you're right (laughs)
1: from before this to when people are hearing it later and there'll be news news events i think Mm -hmm. we'll be catching up with as we go which means it's time for vice or virtue i mean i think we're going to have to decide vice or virtue the device and virtue twitter account (laughs) Good or bad. Yes or no. Uh, I will abide by this poll.
2: Well, it's good that you only have a 50% vote. And I have no idea what I'm going
1: to say.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. So, oh, you mean device virtue on Twitter at device. Our actual account. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think It's like, should we stay on Twitter where any listener can find us and talk back to us? (laughs) So far, it's been a virtue because we have people that tweet at us and share nice things. And we haven't gotten trolled too much. We're like not amazing at it. We're we're not amazing at it. It's true. You would think we would be better at it. But (laughs) I'm always grateful when someone tweets at us and it always makes my day. So I'm going to say it's a virtue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude. You know what? I'm sitting here listening to you. I'm thinking it's a vice. (laughs) 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 I mean, I'm on Twitter a lot. Like, and it's been one of the social media platforms that I go to all the time just to read in the morning. Oh, like, yeah. you know, cause I like to follow journalists. I like to follow different political leaders, thought leaders, tech people, like, a lot, and the faith in tech people. You know, a lot of these people are on Twitter, right? So yeah, I go there. Right. I use my personal account. We don't really only device and virtue. We only have been pushing out like occasional tweets from our, from our episodes. And it's a lot to manage. We're also on Instagram <laughs> and we all have all these personal accounts and managing all these accounts gets a little crazy so this public square Mm. becomes the public chaos in my mind Mm. Mm. because i am thinking of all these messages and sometimes i'm like oh should i tweet this on my account should Mm. i tweet this on i mean for simplicity's sake i'm almost like i would just can it (laughs) can it oh man (laughs) because i think it's maybe not a virtue in terms of the way it's
2: helping me become singular of Mm. mind. you feel pulled apart in too many directions
1: so that's my <laughs> I'm gonna call well, like it, I said, I'm, I'm gonna call I'm it a vice
2: and I know we have a 50-50 vote. Yeah, yes, like I said, now. I'm glad you only have fifty percent of the vote. We're not posting a poll on Twitter like Elon did.
1: No. Well, if folks do want to follow us, I will take responsibility for our Twitter handle was device virtue, no and because I just thought it was shorter. But then we have to say it like that every time. Device mm-hmm. virtue. on Twitter or follow us at Device in Virtue on Instagram when Twitter explodes. <laughs>